0: I haven't been in uh, my study this uh, past week or uh, much the week before, so I uh, have fallen back on uh, Ephesians 1 again, which we did two weeks ago. I have three sermons in these two verses, uh, from verses, well, three verses, verses 12 to, to 14. And so this is the second part of that. So I ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I uh, preached through Ephesians, uh, must have been 2003 to about 2007, something like that, and uh, it is without a doubt one of my favorite books of the New Testament. So let's uh, follow with me as we read together beginning at verse 3, to get the context. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption, So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. <clears throat> now the last time, just as a bit of a review from where we were two weeks ago in this in this passage, we see in verses, verses three through six the plan of God is revealed to us in reference to the past. God planned everything that would take place in time and eternity. And that plan was put in place. We call it The decree of God. He decreed all that would happen. All that would take place in time past. In verses 7 through 12. We see that we're dealing with the present. And in verses 13 and 14. We see the work of the Holy Spirit. In reference to the future aspect of God's plan. I find it very comforting. That God has in his omnipotence and in his omniscience and in his wisdom has planned out everything that will take place in time and eternity. Nothing is left to chance. We don't have to to wonder if he will ever be out of control because he is never out of control. Now we divided verses 11 and 12 into two parts under one heading and the heading is the basis for our inheritance. We have an inheritance that is given to us by God. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be thwarted. And so the basis of that inheritance comes in two aspects. There is the divine perspective. And there is the human perspective. And we didn't get to the human perspective at all uh, last time. But we've looked at the inheritance itself and we came to the conclusion that there are two possibilities that come to pass with the the inheritance. One is that the inheritance is, as John 6 and 10 and 17 state, that the inheritance is that which is given to Christ by the Father. All of those people whom God chose from eternity past to be gifts to the Son are an inheritance to the Son. And he receives all of them; none will be lost. All will be given, <clears throat> and when they're given, they can never be lost from the son. The other side of that, as we saw from First Peter three and one, and First Peter one and Titus chapter three, Romans chapter eight, is that the inheritance is that which we receive from Christ, which we claim. Through the salvation that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. It is a salvation of eternal life and eternal blessings that come from heaven. They are all heavenly. None of them are earthly. <clears throat> They're all heavenly blessings. As we saw in the first part in verse 3. <clears throat> Now notice the fullness of the progression of our inheritance. <clears throat> Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would. 2 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul speaks of this, of our inheritance as a, as an ongoing step by step progression. Until it finally culminates in finality to glory. Watch what he says. We're going to look at two passages here. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Notice the verb tense. Are being Present tense, right now as we live and breathe on planet earth as believers, we are being transformed into the same image as our Lord from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord Who is the Spirit? It comes from the Holy Spirit. We're talking here about sanctification. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit when they're born again. The Holy Spirit then begins His work of transforming us into the image of Christ As we walk with God and as we live by faith, we're transformed from one image of glory to another. What does that look like? It looks like a life that is transformed from a life of sin and practice of sin to a life that is of righteousness and the practice of holiness. And that is glory. Now turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. So we're being transformed. That's the progression. Our inheritance is real. We have it now. It is a promise given to us by God. And he even says later on that the Holy Spirit within us is the guarantee of this. We progress, we transform from one state or image of glory to the next as we, as we love Christ and as we walk with him. Now notice in 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. Very familiar verse to all of us. Beloved, we are God's children now. I like that. It's not that we're going to be God's children. We are now God's children. Right now as we live and breathe. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He, Jesus, appears, we will be like Him. Because, now notice this, we will see Him as He is. How will that be? When we are finally, when Jesus finally appears and we're caught up to be with Him and we see Him as He is, how will that be? It will be that we will see Him in His glory. Much like the apostles saw Him on the Mount of Transfiguration, where He shined bright like the sun at noonday. They saw Him in His glory. So we're being transformed, Paul says, from one image of glory to the next as we behold the Lord through His word and walk with Him until the day He comes and we'll be caught up and we'll see Him as He is and we'll see His glory firsthand, face to face, with our own eyes that will be made so we can behold Him that way. Paul says in Romans 8, that those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why did he do that? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Christ, our elder brother, has given us his inheritance. The inheritance he received from his heavenly father. He has given it to us. It is not an inheritance of some material substance that only has value from some earthly or human standpoint. It is an inheritance of the glory of God that is found in Jesus Christ. That's our inheritance. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. I'm not worthy to have it. I'm not worthy to be a part of it. But he has given it to me by his grace grace. And that's how he's given it to you. <clears throat> so that's the final outcome of our transformation, which is yet future. It is that we will be made completely conformed to the image of his son. And that happens at his coming. <clears throat> now we talked about, we asked the question, why did God make us the inheritance and inheritance. And why did he give us these manifold blessings. That we read about from verses 3 through 11 or 10. Well he did it. Because of his predestination. Which is the fun- first function of the Holy Spirit. To fulfill God's predestinating purpose. Which was done in the past. Eternity past. So the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of Those whom God has chosen and he grants faith to believe and he moves the will to embrace Christ and receive him as both Lord and Savior. Second, God's power works all things according to the counsel of his will, which is the second function of the spirit to supply the energy to make all that God has planned come to pass as he planned it. Third is God's preeminence. He is the, He is the, the Jews were the first to trust Christ and that was to the praise of His glory. It's not just for their benefit, although they, we do benefit. It's not for us. It's for God. It's so that God can be glorified, so that God can be praised. See, God is in the forefront of all of this. Which coincides with the rest of Scripture, particularly Colossians 1.18, which says that he would have preeminence over everything in his church. If Christ does not have preeminence, then he cannot be glorified. That's why it's so important in our worship to put Christ at the top. He is the focal point of everything. So that he receives glory. So the Jews were the first to receive this. Verse 12. And then later all believers. Verse 14. To the praise of his glory. I want you to notice the word trusted. In verse 12. It's a bit of a different word. Than we would normally find. For the word trust. It's not the common word that's used. Here it means to believe or to trust. But uh, normally, it means believe or trust, but here it has a little different connotation. Here, it means to hope beforehand. To hope beforehand. How can, how can that be? This looks back to hoping in a, or having faith in a person before it takes place. A good example of this would be Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2. Who spent their entire life looking for the Messiah to come. They believed that God was going to send the Messiah. And when he did send the Messiah and he came to the temple. Both Simeon and Anna rejoiced to see God's salvation. But they believed in it beforehand. They trusted in it in the hope that it was coming. And so, the words indicate, this word indicates a hope or a faith in the Messiah before. Paul and his Jewish Christian brethren trusted the Messiah before the rest of the nation of Israel. They, would, they trusted beforehand. And now it is it has abiding results in the present. In other words, our predestined salvation, including the eternal, boundless blessings of heaven, our salvation are so designed that they should bring continual, everlasting, and eternal glory to God. That's what it's for. That's why all of heaven praises the lamb who was slain. And gives glory to the Father because it was all Him. It wasn't us. What did we have to do with it except to turn and embrace the salvation that He gave us? And even that was a work of the Spirit. That's the divine perspective. Now let's look at the human perspective. That was just introduction. So now I'll go into the passage here. Verses 13 and 14. He says. In him. You also when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. And believed in him. Were sealed with the Holy Spirit the promised Holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now I'm not going to finish all of that this morning. What will happen is I'll bounce back to this <clears throat> the next time that I can't be or can't give me in my study. <clears throat> you see the notes that I hand out to you each week, those are the kind of notes that I have. And so, uh, Even though I preached this back 2004, I pull these notes out and they're complete. Uh, I just go over them and familiarize myself with them and they're ready to go again. So that's how this happens. If the spirit can use them once, he can use them again, right? (laughs) In verse 13, we find a little bit of a sticky spot here in theology. That goes far back beyond the Reformation. Now we are a reformed church. That means we we believe the doctrines of the Reformation. The five solas of the Reformation. But this goes beyond that. Here we have the, the age old argument centered around the will of man. The will of man. Let me just say nowhere in scripture I challenge you to find it nowhere in scripture do you find the human will in control of human life You're not going to find it because that's not doesn't exist that way the Human will is not in control of human life So what is in control Man does not will to hear God. He cannot hear Him because he is spiritually dead and indifferent to God. So incapable of hearing Him because that is not what man prefers. Lost mankind does not prefer hearing about God or hearing God. They cannot hear Him in the sense that it would cause them to have life. They can't hear Him. The reason? They're dead. Dead people don't hear anything. Now follow with me. Don't close yourself off to this because it is. this is taught clearly here in Scripture. His preference is based and His life is based upon the nature of His heart. Not His will, but His heart man is governed by his heart his will is subject to his heart listen to some scriptures matthew chapter 15 verse 8 this people honors me with their lips but their what their heart is far from me mark chapter 7 verse 21 From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, and so on. Out of the heart. Not out of the will. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flowed the springs of life. Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now I want you to turn with me to Acts 28. This is one of the clearest passages on this particular subject where Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 6. In Acts uh, twenty-eight verses twenty-five to twenty-seven, if you will, <clears throat> Paul is uh, in this chapter. He is he is uh, speaking in Rome, and he uh, <clears throat> he's speaking to he's speaking to some Jews. Notice what he says, beginning at verse 25. <clears throat> he's, he's expounded to them the kingdom of God. Some heard him and were thinking about what he said. Others were rejecting it. Now listen to this, verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And there's the statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. And turn, and I would heal them. That's exactly what God said to Isaiah: "Go and tell the people the message that I give you." But understand, there. Thank you. Thank you Appreciate that. <clears throat> understand they're they're not going to hear you. They're not going to see what you're saying. They're not going to understand it. But you preach it to them anyway. Why was that? Because their will was captive to their fallen heart, their fallen nature. The only way a person can hear God is to be empowered by God to hear His voice. Then it is God that does the work making preference of the individual change because He changes the heart. God's the one that changes the heart. And when the heart is changed, the will is changed. Now the person who is changed by God does not prefer sin any longer. Which is all he could prefer before. You ever wonder why people refuse the plea to forsake their evil ways? It is because they don't want to forsake them. And they don't want to because they hate God and they love their sin. They prefer their sin. <clears throat> For everyone who does John chapter 3, <clears throat> this all this preference comes from the heart. And this is the judgment, Jesus said, that light... Has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things. Hates the light. You meet people. You talk to them. And ask them do they hate God. They'll tell you no. They don't hate God. But they do. Because when you start digging down. Into the sin of their lives. And that's where you'll see it. They prefer. Their sin over God. They they don't want. To do any different because that's what their heart prefers. Their will is captive to that. Jesus said to the sinful Pharisees, You are doing the works of your father that your father did. They said to him, We weren't born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. They claimed God as their father. Jesus said, if you were, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and am, and am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Why do you not understand? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You can't bear it. this is going this is going to become much more of a problem in our world as the world becomes more and more evil and believe me it is becoming more evil all the time you can see it all you have to do is look around and see what's happening you are of your father the devil and it is your will is to do your father's desires He was a murderer from the beginning. Do you ever wonder why there are so many people wanting to kill innocent babies? And now, even one month, 30 days after they're born? He does not stand for truth because there is no truth in him. He was a liar and the father of lies. So, here are the two thoughts that come out of this. The human will is imprisoned because of sin. When man fell in the Garden of Eden, every part of his faculty was affected. Everything was affected. Everything fell. He fell spirit, soul, and body. And as a result, became imprisoned as a slave and captive to his own Sinful nature. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. Second. The human will is impotent because of death. You remember what God said to Adam? He said in the day that you eat of that fruit. You will what? Surely die. Well let me ask you a question. Did Adam fall over dead physically as soon as he ate that fruit? He didn't. He didn't fall over dead as soon as he ate that fruit. But he did die instantly, spiritually, when he ate that fruit. And everything changed. Everything changed. Now, he knew he was naked. They both did. Now, they run To hide in the garden, try to cover themselves because of the shame. Who was it? How did they get reinstated? How did they get re, how did they get brought back into fellowship with God? Was it because Adam realized what he had done and he just, and he went out crying, Oh God, where are you? Where are you? That's not what happened. God came looking for him. God found Him. God clothed Him. You see, it was all God. And it still is. The human will is impotent. It is dead. It has no ability spiritually. We're going to see that very clearly when we get to John chapter 6, which is one of the premier passages on, on that. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth, it will be yours. In other words, God's people must be made willing. And he, by an act of his own marvelous grace, makes them willing. I'm so glad for that because I was never willing. And neither were you. This is the beauty of preaching the gospel. Is that it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be preached uh, with eloquence. It doesn't have to be preached with eloquence or just the right words or with some kind of formula. It can be it can come across in stammering tongue, it can come across disjointed, but God the Spirit uses it to open the hearts of people whose spirits are dead and bring them to life. Let no one say that the doctrine of divine election by the sovereign will of and mercy of God. As mysterious as it is, makes either evangelism or faith unnecessary. They are absolutely necessary. People are not saved unless the gospel is preached. People are not saved unless God imparts faith. And that comes through the preaching of the gospel. John Stott writes this. The preaching of the gospel is the very means that God has appointed by which He delivers from blindness and bondage those whom He chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. Sets them free to believe in Jesus and so causes His will to be done. God's will will be done. Nothing can thwart it. No circumstance No temporal anomaly can cause it not to be done. When we preach the gospel, we are assured that God will do everything necessary to bring all of those whom He has chosen to Himself. That's why it has to be preached. We are not interested in socializing with people. We're not, let me rephrase that. We're not interested in making social efforts. We're not interested in soothing the consciences or minds of people with regard to their victimization. we just preach the gospel that's what the a lot of the evangelical church and even many reformed evangelical churches are missing they've substituted social constructs for the gospel we cannot do that we must not do that <clears throat> I remember years ago when we lived in California, <clears throat> we were in a church there that, that preached the gospel, and there was a I was in the Air Force at the time, and there was a major uh, who whose wife and five children came to church. He didn't come. He claimed to be an atheist, and uh, he was very belligerent, uh, very straight, very straightforward, and vocal. She came every week with her children. One day he showed up, sitting there in the service. The pastor got up to preach the message. He preached, and uh, he the pastor had been dealing with this fellow for some time. And uh, at that particular time, that church gave invitations. At the end, we don't do that here, uh, but he gave an invitation. The guy steps out and comes forward, saying he wanted to be saved. Pastor looked at him and said, No, that's not why you came here. You need to go back and sit down. Can you imagine such a thing? He went back and sat down. Next week he came. He started coming. Every week he was there, and the gospel was being preached every week. Finally, one week, he couldn't stand it any longer. And he broke down, gave his life to Christ. How'd that happen? It happened because the gospel was being preached every week and the Spirit of God was using it. That's how it happened. Listen, you if you've been witnessing to someone over and over and over again and you're getting so tired you just feel like you're going to quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep on. Tell them the truth about their sin. Tell them the truth about eternity. Do it in love and compassion, but make sure it's truthful. You don't know what God's going to do in the end. None of us do. So we just keep on. I want you to see the Holy Spirit's pledge and protection versus the latter part of verse 13 you were sealed with the holy with the promised holy spirit because of the spirit's preservation work the saints persevere listen perseverance is a mark of true believers they don't quit they don't defect they don't give up they don't return to the world as a for good Some do return to the world at times. And then they come back because they can't stay there. The father finishes his plan through the work of the spirit. The son finished his work on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended back to the father He did His work to redeem the elect. And now the Spirit is is in the world fulfilling God's pledge to redeem all of His people. God has said He will bring them all in. And He won't lose any of them. So when we look at the work of the Spirit, we notice several steps here. First is the regeneration of the Spirit. That's the new birth. Being brought to life. That which is dead being brought to life. Second is the refuge of the Spirit. And that is justification. Our standing before God. Third is that the Spirit gives reality to our lives. That's sanctification. As we walk through this world in Christ. Fourth, he gives reassurance to our destiny. Reassurance to our destiny. That's glorification. All of these things are doctrinal truths that we should wrap our arms around and hold tightly to ourselves because this is where we actually live. We've been redeemed. We stand before God completely acquitted. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. And one day we will be glorified with Him and we will see Him as He is. This is the work of the Spirit in us. <clears throat> now I have, I have a, an expansion on all of these points. but I think I'm going to stop because I'm tired. And uh, I still don't have my full energy back yet. <clears throat> and so I'm going to stop right there. Just let me say this to you. That if you're a believer here this morning... And I know that many of you, most of you are. These things should cause your heart to burn within you. Like the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. Because these are precious, precious truths from heaven that relate to us as the people of God. And so... uh, For the next two weeks, uh, Paul, our missionary to Indonesia, will be here with his family. They will be, he will be preaching for the next two weeks. And next week, beginning at nine o'clock in, in fit downstairs, Paul will be giving a report on the ministry, uh, in Indonesia. He'll do that for two weeks in fit. So, Fit will stop after that. But for the next two weeks at 9 o'clock downstairs, uh, Paul will be giving his mission presentation. And he'll be preaching for the next two weeks. So we, we look forward to that. Uh, it's been, how many years has it been since he's been here? Three? Three years. So we look forward to seeing him. I know you'll want to meet and greet and uh, get to know them as well. Many of you already do know them. <clears throat> uh, they were a vital part of this church even before they went to Indonesia. So uh, so that's what's happening for the next uh, bit. Today, uh, we have uh, pictures taken today. So if you'd like to uh, have your photo, photo updated in the church directory, the online directory, uh, Chase will be taking pictures after the service today out back. Out back. So just mosey around to the back of the building here, and you can have your picture taken, and uh, don't rush off. Fellowship together. Yes? (laughs) Okay. There's sheets on that little table there to update the information in the directory. So if, if yours is not correct, you can correct it on a sheet there as well. If you are not in the directory and you'd like to be, get your picture taken, fill out a sheet... We'll put you in the directory. Then you can go online, download the app, and put in uh, your code, and then it'll come to me. And I'll get a request that you want to join the directory, and I'll approve it. And then you'll be able to access the directory <clears throat> at any time. It comes in real handy. Uh, if you, like if you want to go to somebody's house and you don't know where it's at, you can just click on their address and take you right there. right it is not a it is not a public no it's not a public thing uh, that's why it has to come to me for approval and it's only those that are in the directory that have access to it all right good thank you sean appreciate that uh, any other any other uh announcements i'm missing yes sharon